Welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. My name is Crystal Guayco, and I will be your host for today. If you want more information about Miami Church or would love to get connected, email us at hello at mammychurch.com. Without further ado, here's the message. Enjoy! I'll never forget when I was in graduate school. I was in my early 20s, and a small group from uh, my school was heading to Chicago to go to a leadership conference. And this is not just an everyday leadership conference. This was a leadership conference. There was literally thousands of people in a room from literally all over the world. And I remember taking my seat kind of in the back toward the side and, and kind of taking it in. There, there was a buzz in the room. And the first speaker came up to the stage, and he was passionate. I mean, he was spewing spit. His arms were waving. He was passionate, and he was talking about the church. He was talking about the first church, the the early church. And he started painting a vision for the church, and I'll never forget, he, he, uh, he quoted from, from Acts chapter 2, and he was talking about these, these early believers and he's saying that, that, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to prayer. And he, he said there was this awe that, that came over them. And, and he said that, that they were all together and they had everything in common and, and that they would break bread together and that they would meet in the temple courts and that they had glad and sincere hearts. And he said that thousands of people were so curious about what they were doing and what was happening inside of them that, that, that thousands of people gave their life to Jesus. Thousands a day were being saved. And I, and I remember sitting in the back there as a young 20-something, and, and my skin was tingling. You ever had one of those moments and you can kind of feel your heart beat a little faster? You, you can feel your blood pressure begin to rise a little bit. And I'll never forget, I, I was, was sitting there holding my emotion, and I, I was, was feeling it. I'll never forget toward the end of his message, he says, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. How do you feel when I say the word church? Now, I use the word feel here because for many of us, church is not something cognitive. It brings up more of a, of a feeling. Right, an experience. Maybe your mind flashes back to an experience you had as a as a kid or as a student or as a young person. What do you feel? I want you to sit in that for a minute. What is it that you feel? You see, my view of church or my feeling about church has in large part been shaped not only by my experiences, but by what I believe to be a a misinterpretation or or a mistranslation or or a misunderstanding of what church is. So your view, my view, I would say culture at large. So I I know many of you, as I've talked to you, you, you've walked away or or maybe you've lost faith or you've lost some trust or or maybe you're holding back and not giving to church because of this misunderstanding. And so I want to take a a minute today and and talk about the church. You see, the church from the very beginning was born as a movement. 
And, and when this guy in Chicago at this conference was talking about the church, he wasn't necessarily talking about it maybe the way that I view it or that you view it, but he was talking about it in the context of its original intent, what it was originally not designed to be, and it was a, it was a movement. And it was a movement. And these first followers in, in Acts... They, they, they had been with Jesus. They had walked with him. They had heard his teaching. They saw him die. They put him in a tomb. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And he was with them for 40 days after he rose from the dead. And they had breakfast with him. And they talked with him. And then these 120, as we talked about last week in part one, these, these 120, they, they watched Jesus ascend back into heaven. And then they're standing there. And here they are. These are normal Ordinary men and women, not unlike you and not unlike me. And, and Jesus is sending back into heaven after he gave them his final instructions. And they're standing there and we learn in history that this small group of men and women literally turned the world upside down. They took the message of Jesus to the, to the corners of the world. They, they served the poor. They helped those who were in need. And literally, they turned the world upside down. These men and women, ordinary men and women, started this thing called the church. And see, for them, church wasn't an institution. There wasn't a liturgy. There weren't robes or banners or Bibles. There was none of that stuff. See, for them, church was really simple. It was a movement. It was a, a movement of people built around a really clear and simple idea. And the simple idea was that, that Jesus rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus did what he said he was going to do, it legitimized everything that he taught. It legitimized everything that he did. And so these men and women, they go, well, Jesus is who he says he is. He did what he said he's going to do. We saw it with our own eyes. We experienced it with our own eyes. And now we're going to just take the message of Jesus to as many people as possible. And so the church was launched that day as a movement. And regardless of whether you're a part of it or not, the church is on the move. Now this is important. This is important to all of us, whether you grew up Catholic or Protestant or maybe you have no faith background at all. This is important because we all have a feeling, we all have a perspective when it comes to the church. But my goal today... And the, my goal today is that maybe we can rethink that because I think a lot of it is, is built on a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation. Now, I do a similar message like this once or twice a year because this is core to who we are. Now, just so we're all on the same page, the Bible is broken down into two parts. The, the first part is called the Old Testament, it's the Jewish Scriptures. The second part is the New Testament, uh, and that's uh, the Christian scriptures. And, and it starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which, which tell the story of Jesus from different perspectives. And then after that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, which we're going through now in this series called Find and Follow, and today we're in Acts chapter 2. Acts is the story of the first church. Now, the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, was originally written in Greek. And so when it was originally written, it was written in Greek. And in Greek... Whenever you come across the word church in your Bible, the actual Greek word is this, ekklesia. Now, 
this word is, is really simple in Greek. It, it means a gathering or an assembly. It, it simply means an assembly or an agava. The, the idea that, that it carries is we assemble in order to go. We assemble in order to go. And so when Jesus launched the church, when these first followers in Acts, when they started the church, they launched it around this simple idea, very simple idea. Take the message of Jesus to as many people as we can. But something terrible happened in history, and there were some very, very dark days uh, in the world, and especially in the history of the church. And through some misunderstanding and misinterpretation, the, the church, instead of being a movement, it became about a location. Instead of it being about gathering around this idea of the resurrection of Jesus, it became about a hierarchy and rules and regulation. And, and, and instead of being a dynamic gathering based around the resurrection of Jesus, it turned into something really different. Now, I don't want to bore you with all the details, but in medieval times, there was... Uh, uh, some just terrible things that happened in the church. And this horrible, horrible season in history has now impacted you and impacted me and in some way, shape, or form has uh, affected how that we view the church, how we experience church. Now, this Greek word, ekklesia, which couldn't be any clearer, means gathering, means assembly. It was transitioned into a different word. And, and here's the word. This is a German word, and you can see the derivative in English, right? Church, right? This is where the word comes from. And, and it literally meant in 300 A.D., it meant the Lord's house. And the idea was a church building. It, it can even mean an organized religion. And over time, because of this misunderstanding, this mistranslation, the, what began as a movement about distributing the truth of Jesus became something entirely different. And it became insider-focused, and, and there was hierarchy, and it was ritual-based, and it was destructive, and it was even unethical. And it had absolutely no reflection on what happened in the first century in the first church that we read about in Acts chapter 1. And what came as a result of this linguistic change this shifting from ecclesia, which is a gathering and a movement to an idea of a location, resulting in some things that are absolutely embarrassing. And it's why some of you have walked away. It's some why some of you have lost faith. It's why you hear people say, well, I, I believe in God or I'm spiritual, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. It all stems from a misunderstanding, from a, a mistranslation. Now, I love this story. Because something amazing happened. In the, in the early 1500s, there was a guy named William Tyndale. And here's a picture of Wind, w William Tyndale. Uh, go ahead and smile there, William. <laughs> now, here's what's interesting. William Tyndale was this English scholar. He spoke seven languages. He was brilliant. And one day, he was reading the Bible in Greek. He, he was fluent in Hebrew and Greek and all these languages. He was reading the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, in Greek. And as he's reading, he's reading, he has one of these moments where he goes, wow, what I'm reading is not what I'm experiencing. When I'm part of the church on a Sunday or, or when I go to Mass or when I'm part of, if this, this is not what I'm reading. And he made a decision right now 
at that point, that he was going to spend the rest of his life taking the, the Greek New Testament and translating it into English. It had never been done before. And so he began to give his life. This was his life passion, to translate the Greek New Testament into English. Now, you can imagine the church of that day, the, the people in charge, the, the cardinals and the priests and the, and the pope, they were not happy with William Tyndale's intent to translate it into English. See, because it, at that point in history, in order to, to know about Jesus or to know about the Bible, you had to go to church and there would be a priest, and the priest would interpret or read or translate it to you. And because the priest had control of the Bible, he had control of the truth, and he ultimately had control of the people. And William Tyndale said, nope, nope. People need access to the Bible for themselves. They need to be able to read it for themselves. They need to be able to read what I'm reading. And so he began to translate the Bible from Greek into English. And in fact, uh, he became an outlaw. He had to flee England for his life. He ended up in Germany. And he continued to translate it word by word from Greek into English. And thanks to the Gutenberg Press he began to print copies of the New Testament and he would smuggle them back into England. Now, eventually, William Tyndale was, was captured. He was declared a heretic and he was actually killed. But it was too late. Word was out. People had the Bible in their own language and they could read it for themselves. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's why I tell you the story. When Tyndale was translating it from the, the Greek into English, when he came across that word ekklesia, when he came across that word, in his translation from Greek to English, he put assembly. He put the word gathering, assembly, because that's what the word means. And this was his attempt to return the New Testament to return the church, to return the gathering back to what it was originally intended to be. A, a growing, multicultural, multi-ethnic gathering of people on a mission with a very simple message to tell people about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so here I was in my early 20s, having grown up in church with good people, but it was like I had virgin ears and I was sitting in the back and, and for the very first time I was, I was feeling, I was experiencing, I was, I was hearing what it was like, the church, what the church was really intended to be, what it could be, what it should be. Now fortunately from Acts chapter 2 onward to today, there's always been a group of people who refuse to let go of the original idea. There's always been a, a people that understands that it's a movement, that it's, that it's on the move, and that, that, that it must continue to spread. And they refuse to make it a building. They refuse to make it a gathering. They refuse to make it just some dynamic personality that can, can talk up front. They refuse to do that. And since day one, since that very first day in Acts, there, there's always been a group of people, and there's been, there's been pastors and, and church leaders and businessmen and, and church planters and Bible translators and coaches and lawyers and doctors who have refused to, to, to settle for what it is and they push for the original idea. 
And, it, and for every generation, there's always been a remnant that said, it's not a location, it's not a hierarchy, it's, it's not an hour on Sunday, I, I will not be controlled. The Bible, God's word is for all people. Men and women like William Tyndale, who, who defied the church leaders when they sought to make it something else. Men and women like William Tyndale, who said, no, 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 no. I will not settle for the status quo. Well, I will not settle for your misinterpretation, your bad idea. I, I, I'm going to keep talking about what it could be, what it should be. People who give and serve. People who invite. People who realize that when you gather in your home around the table, you can have church. People who realize that when you're feeding the poor, you can have church. People who realize when you pray for the sick, that when you live out the values of Jesus, when you feel like an outcast in your school or in your office or your home, you're the church. And so here I was, sitting on that back row in this massive auditorium in Chicago. And I had chills and I had goosebumps and my heart was beating and there was emotions that I didn't know what to do with. And I was filtering it through all my experiences and all my perspectives. And I'll never forget, <laughs> he got up there and, and, he, and he quoted Jesus from Matthew chapter 16, for verse 18. And it was almost as if he was just pounding the, pounding the table. And he, and he was like, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said, friends, this is the only thing Jesus is doing. He's not directing the angelic choir. They're fine without him. He's not sitting around worried about the planet staying in orbit. They're doing fine. He's not taking a nap. He's not doing a crossword puzzle. This is what Jesus is doing 24-7. This is his focus. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Friends, the local church is the hope of the world. And he's building it. And he's building it in Bogota. And he's building it in Paris. And he's building it in Hong Kong. And he's building it in Miami. And then I'll never forget. He said, friends, I do hope you understand that the greatest privilege in all of human life is when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and he says, hey, hey Juan, hey Susan, hey Amanda, hey, hey John, I have a critical role for you to play. Will you join me in building the church? It's the hope of the world, you know. And I was sitting in this room in the back on the side and I was experiencing for the very first time as he described Acts 2. <laughs> and he said, hey, there was this community of, of followers of Jesus, people who were so radically devoted to Jesus, people who had seen him alive after his resurrection. And they would do whatever, they would do whatever he asked. 
And when Jesus said to go in faith, they would go in faith. And when Jesus said to, to give radically, they would give radically. And when Jesus said to serve your neighbor, they would serve your neighbor. And, and they were doing this, and people that were outside of the church, people that didn't know about Jesus, they were so curious. They were, they were so intrigued by these followers of Jesus that they began to come close and they began to look. And Jesus said that, that thousands of people... Every day we're beginning to, to give their lives and have faith in Jesus because of this small group of people. And at the end of his talk, he kind of went on this rift. And he's, he's amped up now. I mean, by this point, he's at full, he's at full amp. Right? And he's bouncing. He is full amp. And, and he says, friends... Again, thousands of people. I mean, there's a hush over the crowd. There, there, there's this buzz. And he says, friends, is God still transcendently powerful? Does the Holy Spirit still have his stuff? Does Jesus still redeem and restore people? If so, if all this is still true, then why can't there be a community of faith like this in our culture, in our city, in our day? See, Miami Church has to reach its full potential because it's the hope of the world. And you, every one of you who's part of Miami Church, you, you really matter and we have to help everyone. We have to equip and coach. We have to help you reach your full redemptive potential. We have to help you fulfill who you are, your purpose and calling. And we've got to help equip. And if you have gifts of leadership, you need to lead. You've got to quit holding back. You've got to lead. You've got to step up and lead. If you've got unbelievable talent and creativity, you've got to step up and use it. If you have gifts of, of giving, you, you need to step up and give more and help resource what God is doing here. If you have gifts of, of shepherding and pastoring and loving on people, we need you to come and help us love more and more people because there's so much at stake. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And he taps you and he taps me on the shoulder like he did that day in Chicago. And he says, will you join me? I have a critical role for you to play. And I've shaped you. I've, I've given you gifts and I've given you talents. I've given you experiences to prepare you for what I'm calling you to do. I have a critical role for you to play. And whether you believe it or not, you have the tools. You have the talent. You have the necessary things you need to play your role. Will you join me? And building the church, it's the hope of the world, you know. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to wake up every day and, and pray a simple prayer that says something like this. Jesus, this new day I freshly commit myself to the role you've invited me to play as you are building your church in this world. I mean, could you start your day like that? Jesus, this new day I freshly commit myself to the role you have invited me to play 
as you are building your church in this world. See, we're the church. You're the church. I'm the church. With global pandemics, falling economies, all of that, things will come, things will go, but there's one thing that will not go anywhere. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. No matter what happens tomorrow or next week or next year, the church, the church in its original idea, the church in its original intent, the movement of the church, the movement of telling people about the resurrection of Jesus will go nowhere. And Jesus looks at you and he looks at me. Ordinary people like those 120 that were standing there that day. And he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, hey, I've got a critical role for you to play. Will you join me? Will you use the talents and the gifts I've given you? Will you quit holding back? Will you quit resisting? Will you quit? Will you join me? Oh, and friends, I plead with you, please say yes. Please say yes. See, because I have a, a firm conviction that one day at the end of our lives, whenever that is, our last breath on this earth, as we look back over our lives, we will not regret one minute or one second that we invested who we are in building His church. So would you please say yes? Thanks so much for listening today. We would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email at hello at miamichurch.com. Also, be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss out on any future conversations. I hope our time together inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey.